Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Aurora Cannabis Fourth Quarter Fiscal 2019 Conference Call for the three months ending June 30th, 2019. During today's call, Aurora will be referring to an earnings presentation, which listeners are encouraged to download from the financial reports section of the company's investor website. Investor.auroramga.com. Listeners are reminded that certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward looking statements that are subject to the risks and uncertainties relating to Aurora's future financial or business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward looking statements. The risk factors that may affect results are detailed in Aurora's annual information form and other periodic filings and registration statements. These documents may be accessed via CDAR and EDGAR databases. I'd like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, Thursday, September 12, 2019. I would now like to introduce Mr. Cam Batley, Chief Corporate Officer of Aurora Cannabis. Please go ahead, Mr. Batley. Thanks very much, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining today's call.、Uh, with me today are our Chief Executive Officer, Terry Booth, our Chief Financial Officer, Glenn Ibbett. And our executive chairman, Michael Singer.、Uh, for today's call, I'll start by discussing some of our operational highlights, and then Glenn will discuss our financial results. I'll then briefly return、uh, to present our outlook for the rest of the year and beyond, and then we'll take your questions. As we do every quarter, we'll start with a few initial framing comments before shifting into the formal comments. As mentioned by the operator, I'd like to draw everyone's attention to the dashboard of key performance indicators that we've provided. Uh, once again, viewable on our investor website at investor.auroramj.com. This is a really useful tool, one of our innovations, essentially a green light, yellow light, and red light tool to help track the company's performance. And as you'll see, most of the KPIs are in the green, 
and we've highlighted two that we've identified as yellow. We'll speak to each of these in more detail, but for now, I'd like to focus on the big picture for Aurora in our fiscal Q4, the quarter ending this past June 2019. And it was yet another strong quarter for uh, ACB. Among the highlights included continued growth across all our distribution channels, Canadian medical, Canadian consumer, and international medical. A massive increase in kilograms produced, increasing 86% quarter over quarter. A further 20% decrease in our cash cost to produce, now reaching $1.14 per gram. And I should note that at our flagship uh, highly automated Aurora Sky facility at Edmonton International Airport, we're producing at about a buck a gram with further improvements anticipated. In addition, our gross margin improved by a further 3%, reaching 58%. The two KPIs that we've designated as yellow are average net selling price per gram and our SGNA. And we wanted to call them out as a matter of transparency. Uh, the reasons for this are as follows. Our average net selling price per gram, which we'll get into in more detail a little bit later, uh, came down as a result of actually increased sales in the consumer market, as well as some bulk wholesale sales that we actually managed to achieve a very attractive margin on, higher than our overall gross margin. And then our SGNA obviously is increasing a little bit at 9%. Uh, it's higher than it was in the last quarter at 1% uh, growth. Um, but I think that's explainable in large part because we are heading into essentially Cannabis 2.0 with the new product forms uh, coming on board toward the end of this year. Um, I also want to acknowledge that we slightly missed our guidance on our overall net revenue. We projected 100 to 107 million uh, in overall net revenue. We came in 1% below that at approximately 99 million. Now, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, the reason why it happened, we will discuss a little bit more, but uh, it's essentially these things. One, uh, these uh, were uh, not our core cannabis revenues. On our core cannabis revenues, uh, we came in right at the top of our guidance at $95 million. By the way, the largest revenue figure in a quarter that any cannabis company has ever recorded for cannabis revenues. Uh, and uh, uh, on the overall net revenues, uh, we missed slightly uh, based on our uh, ancillary or non-cannabis revenue. A couple of reasons for that. One, um, those are uh, more variable than our cannabis revenues. We also have a little bit less uh, visibility into the performance of our non-cannabis units that are independent, that have a separate governance structure. Uh, and then finally, uh, we actually required a lot of some of our um, ancillary companies and operations. Uh, specifically with respect to our um, uh, analytical testing and our patient counseling. And we can't record revenue uh, internally uh, for intra-company transfers. Now, um, the, the big picture, the most important takeaways here, uh, before we get into the formal comments, I'd emphasize the fact that we've established at Aurora leadership in this sector uh, with respect to not just production, but also revenues on a global basis, in terms of innovation, uh, and this is the biggest quarter, the biggest revenue that any company in this sector has ever recorded. So we're very pleased at the progress that we've made, and now we'll shift into the, former, the formal comments. Now, the past year has been transformational for the cannabis industry overall. It's rapidly maturing into an established operating industry. 
At Aurora, we prudently built a business that is efficient, scalable, and highly adaptable. We are a leader in markets around the world. We're committed to defining the future of cannabis globally, and that commitment underpins everything we do. In the quarter, Aurora continued to be a strong performer in the Canadian consumer market with leading market share and brand awareness. We achieved 52% growth in consolidated revenue compared to Q3, driven by a strong increase in production, particularly at Aurora Sky. While retail distribution in key provinces has been a constraint in fiscal 2019, we will see retail infrastructure expand in 2020 through the launch of new brick and mortar stores across Canada. With more stores, we expect to see further consumer engagement. Providing safe and reliable access to medical cannabis remains at the core of Aurora's business, and our revenues from this market increased 10% compared to Q3. Domestically, our patient roster increased by 10% to over 84,000 patients. Driving this growth are continued referrals from our Canvas RX clinics and a network of over 60 clinic partners. Internationally, Aurora continues to be the leader in working closely with government regulators and policymakers to implement medical cannabis programs and open new markets. In Italy, we were selected as the only winner of a public tender that markets, uh, uh, to supply that market with medical cannabis for a period of two years. While the initial quantities are small, this is an important opportunity to build our connection with patients, doctors, and pharmacies who have come to know and appreciate our products over the past two years. This also underscores our ability to open new global markets by engaging with local governments and acting as a trusted partner as we continue to work to ensure patients have access to the high quality medicine that they need. As well, in addition to the two EU GMP, that's European Union Good Manufacturing Practices, certified facilities we currently operate, we are in the final stages of certification for our Aurora River and Aurora V facilities, one in Ontario and one in Quebec. This will bring our EU GMP certified facilities count to four, making us the licensed producer with the most EU GMP certifications, something that's rapidly becoming a global standard, and ensuring our continued access to international markets where this certification is simply a requirement. We recently announced our first major partnership in the United States market, our science-driven partnership with the USC, the Mixed Martial Arts Organization, to study the effectiveness of CBD, cannabidiol, as a treatment for pain and recovery in high-performance athletes. This groundbreaking research will generate the data required to establish CBD as an accepted therapeutic ingredient. The intellectual property from this research will lead to the creation of science-backed hemp-derived CBD products that will combat the rapidly growing market of untested CBD treatments. We're excited about the opportunities ahead for us in the U.S. market and will continue to take a measured but strategic approach to how we enter this space. Furthering our scientific leadership, we also announced that we've begun cultivating cannabis outdoors. The new sites at Aurora O in Quebec and Aurora Valley in British Columbia will be used for cultivation research to develop new technologies, genetics, and intellectual property 
to gain further efficiencies in our indoor grow facilities and advance learnings about cannabis cultivation. This is important work that needs to be done to ensure sustainable cannabis agriculture practices uh, that are developed to safeguard both our environment and global consumers. The first harvest of our outdoor grown cannabis is expected to occur later next week at Aurora O in Quebec. This cannabis will be sent for extraction and further testing, and we look forward to applying the learnings from these test sites to next year's crops. We're committed to defining the future of cannabis on a global basis, and we're well on our way. While we may still be in the early innings of the cannabis industry, the work that we've accomplished to date has created a company that is uniquely positioned to lead. And that concludes my opening remarks. I'd like to turn the call over to Glenn now, who will discuss the financial highlights of the fourth quarter. Thanks, Cam, and good morning, everyone. My comments here today reflect the success that Aurora has achieved as we continue our focus on the execution of our business plan. The figures I'll be going over can be found in our financial statements and MD&A, and all are in Canadian dollars. As Cam mentioned, our fourth quarter fiscal 2019 results showcase the drivers of our continued strong quarter-over-quarter growth. We reported total net revenue of $99 million, a 52% increase over the $65 million in the, in the third quarter. Our cannabis net revenue was $95 million, representing 61% sequential growth. This growth was predominantly fueled by additional production capacity and available supply from our Aurora Sky and Aurora River, formerly Medrelief Bradford, facilities which drove a $15 million increase in consumer cannabis net revenues as well as an $18 million increase in wholesale bulk cannabis trim sales. For the full 2019 fiscal year, ending June 30th, net revenue was $248 million. Of this, $226 million was cannabis net revenue, an increase of over 427% compared to the prior year. Our fourth quarter 2019 Canadian medical cannabis sales increased 9%, 25 million, driven by our continued success in growing our patient base, which currently stands just shy of 90,000 clients. International medical cannabis revenue for the quarter was 4.5 million, up 12% over the prior quarter. For the year ended June 30th, 2019, overall medical cannabis net revenue increased by 150% to $107 million. This increase was primarily due to the addition of revenue from MedRelief and Canamed acquisitions increased European sales, as well as a ramp-up in production across our production facilities. During the fourth quarter, our growth in the consumer cannabis market continued, with net revenue of $45 million, an increase of 52% over the prior quarter. We finished the full fiscal year with $97 million in consumer cannabis revenue. As you'll note, our fiscal Q4 included approximately $20 million in wholesale bulk cannabis revenue. We sold cannabis trim for an average price of $3.61 and a margin of 61%. In the future, we expect to sell into the wholesale channel, channel opportunistically and when pricing and terms are appropriate. But we caution against expecting bulk sales of the magnitude we achieved in Q4 2019 to be consistent or repeatable. However, we do maintain a focus on the bulk sales market and we do believe there will be further opportunities there in the future. Given our patient-first commitment and belief that medical cannabis should not be subject to excise tax, we continue to absorb the cost of these excise taxes on behalf of our medical cannabis patients. 
As a result, excise taxes negatively impacted our Canadian medical cannabis net revenue and gross margin by 3.3 million and 4% respectively. Let me address our reported revenue as compared to our updated outlook in August in a bit more detail. We reported at the top end of the range for our cannabis revenue at 95 million. This is our core business and we are proud to have delivered such a strong quarter. However, revenues from our ancillary businesses, particularly those that are purposely managed independently at arm's length, were lower than expected. We had expected relative consistency from quarter to quarter, but they, when they reported in to us, we needed to eliminate significantly more revenue than expected for intercompany work. While we do not have day-to-day -day visibility of these businesses, we do need to improve our ability to forecast these businesses. However, because of the lumpiness of these revenues and their relative financial immateriality, we will not be including them in future guidance. Now, continuing further down the P&L, our gross margin on cannabis net revenue increased to 58% in Q4 2019 compared to 55% in the prior quarter. The increase in gross margin is primarily due to ongoing improvement in our production cash cost per gram. As Cam mentioned, our cash cost to produce per gram of dry cannabis decreased to $1.14 per gram, down by 28 cents or 20% during the quarter as compared to the last quarter. This is primarily attributable to the positive impact of the greater economies of scale and manufacturing efficiencies achieved from the increase in production in the period, particularly at our Aurora Sky facility. On a standalone basis, our Sky facility is now in around a dollar per gram, and we expect further improvements in the coming quarters with the resulting in increases to our overall gross margin. We see our strength in highly efficient production and the resulting industry-leading gross margins as core to our future success. It allows us the opportunity to continue to invest heavily in the future growth of our business, at the same time as progressing towards positive EBITDA. During Q4 2019, Aurora produced just over 29,000 kilograms of dry cannabis as compared to 15,590 kilograms in Q3. With production from our higher volume facilities increasing through the quarter, we expect to see a further increase in production in Q1 2020. We've also ramped up our internal extraction capacity and now have enough to meet our current and future needs. In Q4, we continue to invest in the corporate infrastructure and talent required for expansion and growth of market share globally. The increase in SG&A expense compared to prior periods was primarily attributable to increased shipping and fulfillment costs related to higher revenues and preparation for the launch of new products, including product development and branding development, which includes our UFC research initiative. Reflecting the year-end audit adjustments that Cam mentioned earlier, our Q4 SG&A would have been about $88 million, an increase of approximately $20 million over the prior quarter. We have built a diversified and vertically integrated company, currently capitalizing on the tremendous opportunity of the global cannabis markets. In Q4, our reported adjusted EBITDA loss decreased to $11.7 million as compared to $36.6 million in the prior quarter. Considering the impact of year-end audit adjustments, we estimate our delivered EBITDA loss to be approximately $25 million, an improvement of over 32% from the previous quarter. I'm extremely happy with the underlying achievements we've made in the last nine months in driving towards our EBITDA target. We have more work to do, but I'd highlight that nearly all of our KPIs are showing uh, sequential improvements. We've solved previously identified production bottlenecks and we're seeing strong sell-through on our products at the retail level. 
There are remaining constraints to the pace of growth in the Canadian market that we would like to see resolved, including the timing of currently approved and future retail stores. The resolution of these constraints will impact the timing of our EBITDA positive target, but we do expect these constraints to become less of an issue over the next several quarters. As we continue to execute on our strategy, the company expects adjusted EBITDA to improve in the future due to higher sales, improved gross margins, and prudent SG&A growth. As at June 30, 2019, we had $218 million in cash and cash equivalents compared to $89 million last year. In August, we announced the upsizing of our secured term debt facility to $360 million with an accordion feature for an additional $40 million of capacity. Further, as I'm sure many of you have seen on September 3rd, we announced the disposition of our remaining equity investment in the Green Organic Dutchman, generating approximately $86 million in gross proceeds. With these two transactions now closed, we believe we have more than adequate financial resources in the near term to execute our growth plans. I should also note that we continue to evaluate our global capacity expansion. We have identified opportunities to defer certain capex as we rebalance the growth of demand with our increasing supply. We're continuing to build out our full production facility pipeline, but in concert with the growth of the total global cannabis market. As I conclude my remarks, I would like to note that I am proud to be a part of the best performing LP in the Canadian industry. Aurora delivered strong revenues and patient numbers improved on already robust and healthy margins, produced a consistent and meaningful supply of high-quality cannabis, and is well-positioned to continue to keep the gas pedal down for growth while also moving to EBITDA positive in the short term, not the long term. This makes Aurora unique in the Canadian industry. I am very pleased with how, Aurora, how the Aurora team has focused on solid execution and operational improvements this past year. We are in a good financial position and we have numerous op options at our disposal to execute on a growth strategy. I'll now pass the call back to Cam. Thanks, Glenn. As you've heard today, we have built a solid platform for growth that's generating continued positive results. Before I open the call for questions, I wanted to provide an update for our outlook for fiscal 2020. The opportunity in the global cannabis and hemp markets is tremendous, and Aurora will continue to make the necessary investments today to build long-term value for shareholders. However, Aurora will take a balanced approach to these investments with a focus on operating a sustainable and profitable business. ...to establishing a substantial operating footprint in the U.S. As part of the U.S. market strategy, the company is considering its shareholders and how various state and federal regulations will affect its business prospects. A number of alternatives to grow Aurora's presence in the U.S. market are under evaluation right now, and the company is committed to only engage in activities which are permissible under both state and federal laws. There are market opportunities that are legal at both state and federal levels that can add operating cash flows and be critical pillars of Aurora's strategy and long-term success. The introduction of new product formats to the Canadian consumer market this fall uh, represents a significant opportunity for the company. We're very excited to introduce a line of new, high-quality products across the country in a variety of product categories. 
we have invested the time to study consumer habits in legal U.S. markets, which have driven the development of products that consumers will desire and that are compliant with Health Canada's regulations here in Canada. As we previously discussed, our initial focus in the derivative product market will initially be on vapes and edibles. To support these new product formats, we've invested significant capital to staff up and scale our operations in terms of both our cultivation and extraction capacity and in developing new production hubs to ensure that sufficient product is on store shelves for December 17th. On that front, both of our Aurora Air and Polaris facilities are progressing very well, and I can say that as of today, we are in commercial production of vape pens, mints, gummies, and chocolates, and in the late-stage development in other product categories. As I said off the top of the call, while many in the industry are trying to decide how they will build their cannabis business, we already have built a solid growing business, integrated across all value chains, in fact, the global leader. I'd now like to ask the operator to open the call up for questions. If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up question, after which you can return to the queue. Your first question comes from Tammy Chen with BMO Capital Markets. Yeah, thanks. Hi. Um, first question is, uh, Glenn, could you talk a bit about um, in the um, EBITDA uh, reconciliation you've got for the quarter from net income to adjusted EBITDA? Um, there was a note there about, um, I think there was a, some change in accounting where it reduced the operating expenses in the quarter by about $15 million. Can you just talk a bit about what was that accounting uh, change there? Yeah, hi, Tammy. So it wasn't a change. It was a, our year-end audit adjustments. As, as we went through our year-end and scrubbed our financials, we identified some adjustments from prior periods that we needed to correct in order to satisfy our audit and get our full-year financial uh, statements in good shape. So effectively what happened there is we did record some adjustments in Q4 that uh, possibly should have uh, occurred in previous quarters. Our previous quarters uh, uh, should have the results should have looked slightly better, and we recorded those through in Q4. So overall, uh, non-material adjustments, but part of the audit cleanup. Uh, they fall into a couple of buckets. One, and mainly driven by you know the the level of uh, acquisitions and integrations we did as we scrubbed through some of those acquisitions, find some costs that have been recorded, um, you know, that have been over accrued, um, and then we also identified some costs that should have been capitalized earlier in the year. So we made those corrections as part of our audit. Okay, thanks. Um, my my follow-up is um, just wanted to understand the, the CapEx spend in the quarter. I think it increased uh, quite a bit. Um, sequentially, how should we think about that? I mean, what was that? Um, what was the capital deployed into during the quarter? Is, is this the go-forward rate? Um, just kind of commentary about that would be helpful. Sure. Yeah, Cam, I can I can start on that. Yeah. So, Do you want to? So, Tammy, um, you, you know a couple of the major facilities that are under construction, Sun and Nordic, and we've mentioned a couple of others. Um, you also are aware that we've got Polaris and, and Air and an innovation center in Comox for our R&D, for our research. There is a lot of work going on in Aurora right now as, as we uh, scale up, uh, not only for international, but, but within Canada to make sure we're efficient distributors, uh, you know, so distribution centers and uh, 
across the country and uh, manufacturing for the new products, things like that. So, so the capex, let's say, you know, Q4 and spilling into Q1 a little bit would, would be at the peak capex for, for us. We're over $100 million into Aurora Sun build. It's progressing quite nicely. Um, you know, as we indicated a little bit earlier in our comments, you know, we are looking at the timing of, of, of CapEx and matching, you know, the demand to, uh, or matching our supply to the demand. As you saw when we launched Sky, we were able to get certain bays licensed in, in operation before the entire facility was built in a phased approach. And we're certainly taking that approach to some of the, the larger production facilities. So we've just got an awful lot going on. Um, you know, as, as you know, we're heavily into technology, uh, automation, things like that. So these, uh, you know, th these are long-term investments that pay off in our operating costs, reduced operating costs, reduced production costs over the long term. So that's where we're at right now. Tammy, I, I think you would expect in, in Q1 to still see a significant CapEx spend and then it'll start to reduce over future quarters, uh, particularly most of these facilities are, are nearing completion um, and then we'll just have a couple of larger production facilities still ongoing. Next question comes from Matt Bottomley with Canaccord Genuity. Hey, Matt. Hi, uh, thanks for taking the questions. Uh, I just wanted to, um, to, to, to two items, one on the, some of the commentary on, on the potential volatility going forward, and then again on, on the EBITDA uh, commentary as well. So on the volatility side, um, given that you had a good wholesale bump um, in the quarter, uh, and then within your recreational um, consumer revenues, there could be some, some speed bumps there depending on how retail's rolled out. What's the best way for, for, I guess, analysts to look at this, considering that the wholesale may not be repeatable? I, obviously, you can tell me if that's different. Um, and the recreational revenues could still see potential headwinds. So just trying to uh, anticipate um, the potential magnitude of the lumpiness going forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first crack at this and then hand off to, uh, to Glenn. Um, you know, first thing is um, the demand is actually there for wholesale product. And you'll note that we got an extremely attractive price for trim, 361 a gram. Uh, and that the margins, you know, were even better than our overall gross margin. Um, so if we have opportunities, and it's likely that we will, we will proceed with additional bulk wholesale. Um, but but the, the bigger question that you're asking is with respect to volatility. And I think that what we're signaling here is just to be aware, um, as a lot of observers have suggested, we're anticipating that there may be a bit of a plateau between now and the advent of the Cannabis Legalization 2.0 product. Uh, anticipated somewhere around the end of the year. I think that's really what, what we're anticipating, that there's, there's likely to be across the sector a little bit of a plateau between now and then. Glenn, did you want to add to that? Yeah, Matt, uh, what we're signaling there, and you, you know Aurora and you know how, how consistently our revenue has continued to ramp quarter to quarter to quarter. The revenue curve is a nice, smooth, continuously increasing Curve and we, we specifically for us uh, just want to call out the fact that there there are constraints on the on the consumer system right now, and the provinces are, are starting to show that as well and, and have you know I've seen in July and August where they you know they're trying to work through some of the inventories that they have and have slowed their buying and we expect it to pick up and to continue to pick up through through the next quarter but we did want to kind of signal that. Um, you know, our continued sort of 40% quarter-to-quarter growth may take a, a bit of a pause just due to industry dynamics. Mm -hmm. So that being said, we still expect, you know, to see, um, you know, a growth in the core businesses. And as Cam said, 
you know, the bulk opportunities may be there, and, but if the pricing's right, we'll, we'll execute on those as well. Um, you know, this, this is, um, you know, one, one of the things that heartens me as I look forward is from the data we see from the provinces is we are number one in the country in sell-through rates. So our products mm -hmm. are delivering the right product, the right quality that consumers are preferring. So as long as we continue to sell through um, at healthy rates, uh, then as the bumps kind of even themselves out and the retail stores roll out, then we'll, we'll uh, benefit disproportionately, I think, from that increased market size. And that is Terry uh, Matt. too. Here's uh -huh. what I read Go ahead, Terry. On what Glenn was talking about on retail. And, and a, a good example would be Alberta. Alberta lifted the moratorium on retail stores, uh, stocked up a considerable amount of cannabis, and those stores have been granted licenses, but all are not yet open. They're doing their build-outs, and I remember that all we're providing right now are, are tinctures, joints, bud, and gel caps. Um, we have another uh, Cannabis 2.0 coming into Canada, which we think is going to significantly drive uh, revenues for value adds. Got it. Um, that's very helpful. And then maybe just tying that into some of the comments you made on, on EBITDA. So um, in, in prior quarters and discussions, you, you've kind of been hoping to, to reach that uh, inflection point in calendar Q4 of this year. Now the wording is, is more sounding like short term, which to me sort of sounds similar, um, similar points in time. So is the reason for that slight change just given that plateau you were talking about until uh, the December uh, Cannabis 2.0 comes on and then it's a bit of a, a reset with respect to that inflection point towards uh, EBITDA positive? Yeah, I'll sure, take the first crack right. at this. Uh, Glenn, Glenn, maybe I can just sort of uh, frame this uh, for a second and, and then uh, hand off to you for the details. Um, so, you know, we, we put out guidance at the beginning of the year that we were targeting positive uh, EBITDA, and that created a sea change in our behavior, and I think people have noticed. Um, we went from a period of very rapid M&A uh, to shifting gears to a period of really focused and disciplined execution. Uh, and I think that's been reflected in our results. Um, now, would we have liked to be at positive EBIT at this point? Sure. Um, part of the reason uh, that, that we're, you know, we're still working towards that is, as Glenn mentioned earlier, uh, we would have liked to have seen greater retail infrastructure in Canada. More stores, obviously, is better for the whole sector, and it's disproportionately beneficial to us as the leaders in the consumer market. Um, so, you know, we still are focusing on that, and I think it distinguishes us a little bit from our peers, some of whom have uh, not emphasized that pathway to profitability as much as we have. Uh, this is something where we have listened to what institutions have told us about the importance of having a credible pathway to profitability, and we're sticking to that. Glenn? Yeah, Matt, I think Cam's done a great job of, of describing that. In terms of our language, all we're doing is we, we are still at the mercy, I think, of the timing of the retail footprint rollout, how strongly, you know, we're excited that Ontario's licensed a number of new stores, but you know they should be licensing hundreds of new stores. So, so there's still a lot of room to go, and the timing of that will, will dictate, you know, exactly how large the market grows, you know, over what period of time. And, and certainly we don't yet know exactly when the provinces will start loading in for the new products um, for... Um, you know, uh, consumer 2.0. So will they start buying in advance in December, or will they wait until you know towards the end of the year? So there's some timing there, quarter to quarter, that we're a little uncomfortable with, um, and we'll have to wait to see how that uh, how that rolls out specifically. 
Next question comes from Vivian Azer with Cohen & Company. Hi, this is Steve Schneier, Minton Shitting for Vivian today. How are you guys doing? Great, Hi, Steve. Steve. How's it going? Great. Um, so, um, in reference to some of the performance in oils, I mean, some of the commentary that we've heard from some of the other LPs have been that there's been a little bit of a destocking across the board. I'm com questioning how much um, has that impacted you, and are you seeing a similar trend in your oil and extract sales? Glenn? Yep, I can tackle that. So, Steve, yeah, for sure the consumer market, okay, let me start with medical. Our medical market is still running at roughly the two-thirds dried flour, one-third uh, extract-based that it has for a number of quarters now. It's in a relatively, we had a small increase, at, I think 37% in Q4 in terms of extract-based products, um, but that's relatively consistent. Definitely the consumer market seems to be a heavy preference right now with, with the products that they have to choose from for, for dry cannabis. They prefer to smoke the cannabis right now until they get new product forms launched in 2.0. Our quarter, um, Q4, uh, was over 90% dried flour. So the, you know, I, I think we've seen uh, um, a few of the, uh, few of our peers that loaded in heavily on the extract-based products have had to have, you know, recognize some returns um, in the recent past. We don't have that issue. We haven't had that issue, but for sure, the consumer market right now is heavily dominated by dried flour, not a lot of extract-based sales. Great. Thanks, Glenn. And just a follow-up to your earlier point about what we're seeing in the channel, which seems to be a little bit fuller than we previously would have expected. How do we reconcile that with the narrative that the market has been grossly undersupplied in the past? Has that now caught up to the point where we've re received balance, or are there other factors um, that are weighing in on that? Yeah, Cam, yeah. I, I can take that initially. Um, you know, we, when we've talked in the past, Steve, and certainly um, we've been fairly consistent, is that we expect that this is such a new market. It, it's a, it's a, we're truly at the launch of a new market. In fact, we haven't launched even most of the products that should be in this market. So there is going to be, I think, month to month and, and quarter to quarter, um, uh, there, there will be a continuing sort of a, a mismatch, I think, of demand and supply. Um, certainly, I think uh, what we're seeing is that um, uh, several months ago there wasn't enough supply in the market and the provinces would buy, you know, whatever they could. Uh, now in certain SKUs, I think they've overloaded. Um, as I, say, I said earlier, you know, our strong sell-through is important for us as an indicator that our products are moving. Um, but they have, you know, kind of overshot, I think, in terms of inventory build on some uh, some SKUs, and they're going to have to work that out as we wait for retail. Steve, uh, it's Terry here. i just add to Glenn's comments. Um, if you look at the statistics on uh, retail sales of adult usage, again, we're limited in there, the number of products that we supply them, but Alberta um, outpaced Ontario and British Columbia, and that is not statistically... Um, historically rather, correct, right? The British Columbia and Ontario have a lot more um, cannabis people, um, and I think it's a reflection of the number of retail stores that are open in those two provinces. They're both are a little bit of a slow roll, but they both had government changes on the rollout uh, October 17th. So they're a little bit behind the eight ball in getting retail rolling, 
Well, we're starting to see a significant um, uptick in British Columbia, and certainly we expect the same in Ontario. Uh, if they start selling as much cannabis per capita um, as Alberta, you're going to see quite a bump there. We don't know when that's going to happen. We know it's going to happen in the next six months, but it's, it may, may not be next week. Steve, this is Cam. Let me add to that um, uh, further to Glenn's comments. Um, we are seeing some interesting uh, developments beyond straight uh, supply and demand for product uh, in the Canadian consumer market, and that is discrimination by consumers uh, towards higher quality products. Uh, and we're, we're seeing the results of that. If you take a look at how some companies in this sector have had to deal with significant returns uh, in a quarter, and that's not an issue uh, that we're facing. Um, so there is some increasing discrimination where consumers are, uh, you know, they're, they're voting with their dollars as to which products they want, um, and we anticipate that that will continue on a go-forward basis. And once again, we think that that militates toward Aurora because we have this reputation for producing particularly high-quality cannabis products. Next question comes from Doug Mime with RBC Capital Markets. Uh, thank you. Um, this question is for uh, Terry and Michael, and it has to do more with strategy. Uh, I know that you've slowed down um, sort of the acquisition pace, but I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit further on uh, what you're thinking. I know everything is going to be approached fully legally, federally, uh, at a state level, but um, what you're thinking about in the U.S., if you could give us a little bit more information about your approach and perhaps timing. That'd be great. Thanks. Sure, Michael, do you want to start this off? I'm actually going to start it off with Kevin. It's Terry. Okay. Um, Fair enough. You wouldn't think that our M&A activity has slowed if you sat in my chair and the amount of work that we're doing with the amount of opportunities that we have in the United States. Uh, we started out in the United States with our little brother, Australis Capital, which we have some backing rights. Um, they're traded on the CSE AUSA. Um, they've done nine deals themselves. Uh, smaller deals, but they've set a set of footprint and actually really teed up some uh, good people to help us with the different regulatory um, issues in the various provinces. We've gone on a, a significant MSO review tour of the states. I think that's um, uh, common knowledge um, out there in the markets. And we are uh, laser focused on CBD derived from hemp and the various opportunities that exist in that, when, when USA passed the Farm Act, they leapfrogged across the rest of the world or over the rest of the world in CBD derived from hemp. Um, some call it a CBD frenzy, but uh, I don't believe it is because we know that it works. And having it descheduled in the US um, is a tremendous boon to the CBD industry. And our strategic partners in Triant Capital are helping us um, talk to some of the top companies in the world with respect to that in, in itself. And there's a couple more hurdles with the CBD industry, including the FDA ruling on um, ingestibles. And we have a good idea on how that's going to go. But um, uh, to, to say that we, we slowed our M&A activity, we, we've not closed a bunch recently, but there's a, uh, I'm, I'm very busy in that regard. Probably 90% of my time is dealt on new opportunities. And it's Michael, I'll just add that, you know, we see the U.S. market as a tremendous opportunity, and I could tell you that this is, the, this is now a key objective for us in fiscal 2020. We expect, um, with, based on what Terry just described, that we will have a significant footprint in the U.S. in the coming quarters. 
Um, and our UFC is, a, is an example of a, a, a great first step in that direction. Um, so we're certainly encouraged with the progress that we're making um, and, uh, and stay tuned because we're, uh, we're, we're, we're excited about our, our, our opportunities. Okay, great. Um, and then just to follow up for Cam, um, again, just looking at a couple quarters with 2.0, I know you talked about the fact that you're going to be launching vapes and some edibles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe just on the vaping side, you could um, give us your thoughts on this whole situation that we're starting to see on the safety side with respect to vaping and e-cigarettes and what your approach is going to be to mitigate any concerns around that. And that, that'll be it for me. Thank you. Sure, sure. So, I mean, the first thing to remember is we've got the benefit of a little bit of time um, before we have to launch uh, the vapes in Canada, the, the vape pens. Uh, and in that period of time, obviously, we'll be monitoring very closely what comes out of the uh, FDA and the CDC uh, and hoping that we get a finer point uh, as to the suspicions as to where this came from. Uh, you've seen the same media reports that I have where uh, the suspicion is focusing on black market products. And, of course, I would immediately draw your attention to the fact that everything that we produce and everything that we sell to either patients or consumers goes through very, very rigorous uh, regulation under Health Canada. Uh, and, in fact, we already have, uh, I think, the only uh, vape cartridge that's on the market right now are CBD vape cartridge that we call Aurora Cloud. Uh, and, and that is, you know, very specifically, uh, in, you know, consistent with Health Canada regulations and, in fact, tested um, before it hits the market. So, um, you know, we've got the time. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, and if suspicions, initial suspicions are correct, that this is, um, you know, something that is coming out of uh, black market illegal uh, vapes. But, you know, we've got a very highly regulated system in Canada and nothing is going out to either patients or consumers that hasn't passed Health Canada. Next question comes from Chris, Chris Carey with Bank of America. Hi, good morning. Morning, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, so, hi, how are you? So I hear you on slowing CapEx, um, but it sounds like September quarter is still going to be elevated. Um, and, and even if I take together your credit facility raise and, and the T-God stake, it, it, it seems to me like you might need a bit more capital going into 2020. Um, and that's especially the case, I suppose, if the U.S. is going to be a big focus in 2020. So can you just help me think about not just, you know, the September quarter, but how you think about your uh, cash needs and, and the potential for uh, additional financing as you think about growth opportunities into next year? Glenn? Yep, Cam. So, hey, Chris. Um, yeah, listen, I, I've read your notes, and I, I wouldn't disagree with most of your analysis. I mean, we do have major opportunities ahead of us. Um, you know, we expect over a period of time, you know, measured in, in short quarters, to become cash flow positive from our operating business. But uh, we are investing heavily in the future, both on the facilities, the production and distribution and, and manufacturing research, as well as looking at some of the opportunities, as Terry and Michael outlined, uh, internationally, including in the U.S. Now, uh, I have to say, uh, a lot of the ones that we're looking at are actually, um, you know, positive in incrementally, you know, EBITDA positive and, and nice revenue. So, 
you know, I, 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 I do like those opportunities, but I, you know, for us to take a business like that and really accelerate it, in the, you know, to the Aurora standard and, and with the, the aggressiveness that we're known for, uh, would probably take more capital. So, you know, we'll cross that bridge as it becomes clear what, what the capital need is. Um, but, you know, we, we have this tremendous opportunity to continue to be global leaders. So if the, uh, the um, decision to continue that leadership requires more capital, then we will uh, access that capital at that time. You know, as, as, as you know, we, we, we do have non-dilutive sources that we have after the tea got sale and that, and we'll continue to look at those sorts of sources going forward. I think we're uniquely positioned uh, to be able to to look to those sources, and I think that upsizing of our debt, including three of the major Canadian banks now participating in that, you know, sort of bodes well for the future, and we'll look at, at um, those non-dilutive sources of financing, and, and we'll be creative as usual. Okay. Th thanks very much. And then just to follow up, um, you mentioned having an idea of how FDA might regulate ingestibles. I wonder if you can elaborate. Sure. Gary? Um, it, it's, uh, I think I might have said before that what keeps me up at night is uh, the supply of cannabis. That's no longer an, an issue with Aurora now that Sky is, is almost at full production. The, what keeps me up at night now is the FDA decision. It's not the decision that they'll make um, to the negative, but which way they'll go with respect to isolates uh, versus broad spectrum. We are anticipating that the Isolate will be the first step from the FDA um, as a ingestible, mainly because the other 112 or 113 cannabinoids um, in cannabis and, and in hemp have not been uh, tested by the World Health Organization. The WHO has come out and said that CBD is safe um, as an ingestible, but they've you know, put brackets around that sentence and said this is only for pure CBD. And I think the phrase is commonly misused, a broad-spectrum CBD. There's no such thing. It's, it's broad-spectrum cannabinoids minus the THC derived from hemp and or cannabis. So we're hoping the broad-spectrum is something that is approved for ingestibles, uh, as we feel it's more effective. But the first step in those ingestibles may indeed be an isolate. So we're making sure both of those bases are covered in our um, review of uh, companies that participate in that industry in the United States. Next question comes from Brett Hundley with Seaport Global. Hey, Brett. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, hey, hey, good morning. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to go back to the CapEx mm -hmm. question, if I can. Um, Glenn, what might be helpful, at least for me personally, is can, can you share with us an assumption on where you know, not maintenance capex, but where where longer term capex might be able to shake out, so that you know some of us on the street can kind of do the math on on using Q4, Q1 as a top, and then working down towards that target. Um, yeah, I hope I can help you with that a little bit. As I said, we're kind of a peak capex ten right now with the major facilities underway. Um, a lot of the the construction going on right now will be complete over the next quarter or two on our manufacturing and distribution facilities across Canada. Um, so what we're then starting to look at is just the timing of the, the, the CapEx on uh, our major production facilities, uh, uh, Nordic and Sun. Um, so as it stands right now, our current plans are, are to bring those in and phase them in 
you know, as as demand requires, uh, and that you could consider that to be over the next year or two uh, as we phase those in. You know, hopefully, and ideally in my world, we need to phase them in earlier because the demand is there. But those are really the drivers. Now, I, I need to caution you that that's our current, that's, as we stand right now, that's our CAPEX plans. Um, should we uh, decide uh, part of our move into the U.S. requires more CAPEX, then we'll reset and recalibrate at that point. Um, so that's really how I've kind of characterized the CAPEX over the next, say, eight quarters is continued spend this quarter and you start to see it trailing off then over the next couple of quarters and then you're really just looking at the time you've done in Nordic. Okay, I appreciate that. And then um, just my follow-up question is actually coming back to a prior one as well surrounding vapes. Um, I, I appreciate your answer to that question insofar as, um, you know, taking a wait and see and, and having the, the value of time here. Um, but for all of us that need to look forward and, and <clears throat> try and make guesses about the forward market, um, can you give us a sense of what your overall capital investment in, in 2.0 products ha has been to this point and, and what percentage might be vapes? Um, and I guess what I'm trying to tie into this discussion too is do you do you have any concern whatsoever that the Canadian government might overreact in the interim and, and put a pause on vapes while things get figured out um, in the United States? Thank you so much. Okay, I'll take the first crack at that. Um, I, I'm not sure that we actually want to break down uh, percentage-wise how much of our investment is in each of our uh, priority products that we intend to launch with uh, Cannabis Legalization 2.0. Um, but we have, you know, consistently indicated that we are looking at vapes. We're looking at certain edibles, uh, including mints and chocolates and, and other forms. Um, so, we, and we do intend to proceed with each of those. Now, your next question as to, um, you know, what uh, the Canadian government might, might do, um, that's pure speculation, and um, we don't, we try not to engage in that business. Um, but I will add this, um, thus far, uh, according to uh, the best information we have today, these illnesses have not popped up in Canada, and that may be instructive. Um, so, you know, we have to abide by what regulators uh, say. We're going to watch these developments. We'll be responsible about the whole thing, but I want to be careful not to speculate. Yeah, I just want to add to that, Cam. Um, when, when someone says the word vapes, that's, uh, that's got a lot of um, information in it, doesn't it? What the U.S. government are pulling off the shelves right now are flavored e-cigarettes. We don't ever intend to sell flavored um, e-cigarettes, as far as I know. We're not in the, that business. Um, the cutting agent of those flavored e-cigarettes and flavored um, single-tip thread or five-thread vapes is, is largely expected to be um, the cause of these issues. I'm not going to try and make a prediction, but... That's what we're hearing. Normally what you hear com comes through. And the chemical that's been largely um, accused of being involved in that is something called vitamin E acetate. Okay? We would never um, even consider using something like that for a cutting agent in, in Canada um, or anywhere in the world unless it's been tested. So I, I think that the vapes are getting lumped into a one big basket and it's really a focused um, set of vapes um, largely suspect coming through the black market that um, cutting agents are being used to, to add a more robust flavor and a bigger plume, if you will. And that's what these kids are, are all about, is 
the hot box look in the car when, and you've seen it driving by when someone takes a big rip, and there's a massive cloud um, coming off their vape. That is nothing that we would consider a manufacturing. Is that helpful? Next question comes from Michael Lavery with Piper Jeffrey. Good morning, thank you. Hi, Michael. Can you, can you give us a sense for your outlook for industry capacity, which obviously has projections to rise pretty rapidly, and just how that balance, how that compares to demand, and how that evolves over over the next, say, 12 to 18 months? You're talking in Canada alone. It, right. Exactly. Okay. So. Um, you know, we don't have official figures uh, for uh, the industry, um, but here's what I can tell you. Um, we, we do see capacity increasing, but once again, as we mentioned earlier, there's discrimination based on quality, right? So some producers will be seen as higher quality producers uh, than others. Um, and, and as we've discussed on previous occasions, um, one of the things that we've done to make sure that we're winners in whatever scenario uh, emerges is to be a low-cost producer and uh, you know with our further improvements in our program cost to produce on a cash basis um, that puts us I think further in the lead as um, you know the mass producer um, able to produce cannabis consistently at the lowest cost so um, that's the Canadian situation uh, we we don't know exactly when there's going to be you know sufficient supply to meet all demand and also that calculation changes significantly with the advent of the, um, the Cannabis Legalization 2.0 products uh, coming towards the end of the year. Now, on a global basis, it's a very different story. Um, because of the very small number of licensed, regulated producers of cannabis in the whole world, um, we see a long-term, like multi-year situation where there will be a massive excess of demand oversupply for legal regulated cannabis. Uh, and, and so that's one of the reasons why we have put so much effort into being first or second mover into international markets and establishing the biggest global footprint of any cannabis company, and, and we're now operating in 25 countries. I'd like to add to that a bit, Cap. Uh, I mentioned earlier the cannabis per capita. Uh, analysts, I, I believe, have to look at the fact that the Alberta numbers are higher than anywhere else, mainly because of the retail availability. And as the two other provinces, of, and, and even Quebec as well, bring on more retail, you will see an increase in supply. And you can probably do some math on that. Um, I'd like to make an example of Australia, um, for a, uh, which will be an export market for some time from Canada until they get their uh, production underway has gone to over uh, 12,000 patients. I think month over month is growing by 30% cap or 25%. Yep. Very similar to what happened um, in Canada under the MMPR. So we're seeing um, countries that put Canadian type regulations in place have significant uptick in demand. Australia, until a couple of rules were cut, a couple of pieces of red tape were cut, were very slow growth. Uh, they then cut the restriction on doctors and they improved the application process, and now um, it's going at a rapid pace, and, and we see other countries taking that same sort of approach. Um, the German market, you'll see that we didn't have a big increase, oh, it was a decent increase in, in European sales or outside sales, but we didn't have the capacity 
um, to supply it up until now. So we're, we're seeing uh, the boots on the ground in Germany now um, educate physicians and, um, and, and the demand for cannabis will go up as the number of physicians are prescribing. So it's all about matter of math. It's still a medical entry into countries outside of Canada and the U.S. And um, there's, there's no better medical cannabis company in the world than Aurora. You know, I just want to add to uh, to what Terry said. Um, that we, you know, everybody knows that we identify ourselves primarily as a medical cannabis company, and and that's on a global basis. Albeit a medical cannabis company that happens to be killing it in the Canadian consumer market with leading share. Um, but the, I, I want to emphasize that everywhere we go in the world, our reputation precedes us. Our reputation as a serious pharmaceutical grade, uh, medically oriented. Uh, research investing company precedes us and that's really important to us it opens doors for us with policymakers and regulators and allows us to have important conversations uh, with respect to how new medical cannabis systems should evolve and and to be able to uh, speak to the need for well-regulated systems that actually have real access and, and proper access for patients uh, so that reputation of ours, our positioning, has been incredibly valuable. It's been an asset for the company. Uh, no, that's all very helpful. Just to follow up, you, you mentioned being a low-cost provider. Is, is your operating assumption that there is price compression coming and that you're, you're well-positioned because of the cost advantage? And maybe how do you think about um, that in the context of your your price point uh, on the Italy tender that seems to have been uh, lower than some of the other prices we see in Europe. Is, is that is that how do you think about some of the competitive dynamics? So I'll take the first crack and hand this over to uh, Glenn and perhaps Terry if he wants to weigh in as well. Um, so you know the the predictions for a long time have been that we would see um, uh, too much supply in Canada. Well, that hasn't happened yet. And as a matter of fact, with the, the troubles that one of the leading producers uh, in the country um, taking a heck of a lot of product off the market, that's been further delayed. But um, as responsible operators, we felt like we needed to scenario plan for if and when that happens. And, and uh, Glenn very specifically has done that uh, and, and has looked at various scenarios with various um, uh, possibilities of future price compression. And each of those scenarios has us generating significant margin because of the fact um, that we are a low-cost, high-quality producer. Um, now, uh, Glenn, did you want to pick up from there? Cam, uh, you've done a good job of describing it, but yes, I mean, this is critically important and underpins uh, you know, a lot of our strategic, strategic advantages is our purpose-built, highly efficient production facilities. You know, as I mentioned in my comments, with Sky delivering currently around a dollar a gram, and expected to continue to improve on that, um, I think we make we set ourselves up in a position where we don't think we have competition at that level. So, so uh, you know, there there is a floor that prices can cannot drop beyond, and that's really the operating costs of the, of our major peers. So, you know, it, it's nobody, including the the, the authorities. Uh, want to put the major producers out of business. So there's a, there's a minimum that prices can drop. So even when we model out, uh, you know, where we expect just an absolute, you know, uh, sort of uh, nightmare scenario in terms of pricing, we still have extremely healthy margins. So that, again, I think there's so many 
you know, advantages to being such a highly efficient, low-cost producer that brings, and this is yet another one, we win in whatever market conditions there are. Um, so I hope that helps. That yeah, I, I want to add to that as well. Um, I don't see um, price compression around the corner. I see more revenue per gram uh, with the high-value uh, products coming on stream. Um, we wouldn't be extracting and making uh, pens and cookies and bonbons for um, less of a margin on our, on our bud. Right, that would be crazy. So I see the revenue per gram going up in Canada. It has continued to go up, by the way, in, in the medical system. Um, the, you, mentioned, you mentioned Italy and the low price um, Italian contract, which is a very small amount of cannabis. And the thought behind Italy, and certainly the tender was not based on our price, but we wanted to make sure we got it because the Italian government, um, army rather, uh, presently grows it. And in our opinion, it's not the quality that they need for a decent medical system. So getting decent medical cannabis in Italy was very important to us, and, and that's what we've accomplished with that task. Um, I don't see that as being the standard for pricing in Europe, certainly um, that was a bit of a different tender. And we, we keep forgetting that we also won one of um, 73 opportunities, or sorry, 10 opportunities in Germany um, to produce, and there's other tenders in, in Europe that are coming on board. They're not price-driven. They're, they're quality-driven. They're EU GMP-driven. Um, and those are the, the um, criteria that will win those tenders, not necessarily the pricing. Next question comes from Glenn Matson with Leidenberg Thalman. Hi, I appreciate you taking the call. I realize it's getting late in the, uh, in, in the process here, so I'll just be quick. I wanted to touch on wholesale one more time. Uh, you know, you guys talked about, um, you know, tapping the wholesale market opportunistically, and I just wonder, like, what are the parameters around what's going to make you decide when to tap it or not? And is there a range you can give us? Maybe uh, is there maybe a couple hundred basis points of gross margin range of of, of when, when you'll uh, tap that market? And then, being that there's, um, you know, we're well into the first quarter here, are the conditions currently, uh, you know, in line with 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 the conditions you would want to? see when you tap the wholesale market. Glenn? Yeah. Uh, well, hi, Glenn. Um, the, um, hi. Yeah, the, the, uh, what we're just trying to be cautious here. We, we do see uh, a need for the, that type of sale in, in the Canadian market. There is demand. As I said in my comments, I think, or I might have said earlier, um, you know, there there are a number of LPs that are looking for product as well. The, the, the trim that we sold was to a couple of the major extraction companies in Canada uh, looking for, for input products of a high quality. Um, and there are other LPs that are looking for, for um, um, product as well. Um, but I don't, you know, because this isn't an ongoing relationship right now, I'm not going to count on those revenues till we have a signature and a contract and, in fact, till I see the cash in the bank. So. We're being a little cautious, I think, in looking forward here. Um, the, the current market dynamics uh, do lead you to believe that there will be more opportunities, um, but we don't want you to try to build that into a forecast until we start to see how sustainable and kind of regular that business is. We do have teams internally that are working on this and also looking at other uh, opportunities to take advantage of our capacity for production and extraction and, you know, bottling and, you know, all the manufacturing aspects, you know, there's potential 
to create uh, more business uh, for those in the industry that aren't necessarily interested in producing or, in fact, can't produce at the quality and the levels that they'd like. So I, I expect more business to come out of that segment. Um, it's just right now it's early and a little less predictable um, than I would like to, before we put a stake in the sand on that. Uh, great. Thanks for the color. That's it for me. Next question Thanks. comes from Graeme Crandler with 8 Capital. Hi, good morning. Hi, Graham. Thanks for taking. Hi, morning. Um, just wanted to get a quick follow-up here with respect to the comments on the U.S. market, particularly on the CBD side of things. Uh, you know, there's been some commentary about the FDA giving some more clarity on regulations, really being a, a catalyst to unlock a lot of value in that market uh, and make the operating environment really de-risk that. So my question is, you know, is, is the entrance in, into that market in terms of an opportunity that you know, will have a big commercial impact? Um, is that something where you are going to be awaiting more clarity from the FDA, or you could potentially be advancing ahead of that on a state-by-state -state basis? Thank you. I expect Gary? We'll, I, I expect we'll advance ahead of that. Are there any particular states um, that, that you've highlighted or you think are, are making strides um, faster than others that could allow that, that environment to take place? Yeah, I've got, I got to be very careful. I, I narrow the pipe tremendously when I name the states on the companies that we're looking at, so I'll leave that one alone. But it's obviously the states where this is allowed um, at a high scale. Next question comes from Andrew Carfer with Stiefel. Hi, uh, good morning. Thanks for the question. Uh, so just wanted to quickly ask, I guess I wanted to ask about uh, your Canadian medical business. It's You're the leader in, in Canada right now, and it's, it's a pretty significant portion of your revenue. The, the sales did flatten out this course. I guess what I wanted to understand is your outlook for that business, kind of given your visibility and your patient base. How sustainable is that number right now? And you know, what are the opportunities for a truly differentiated Canadian medical offering as you see it? Um, I'll take the first crack at that. Uh, yeah, so you know, we actually saw double-digit growth, so we had over 10% growth in that market. Uh, and then subsequent to the quarter, we reached almost 90,000 registered patients, which is, makes us by far the leader in Canadian medical. Um, we are obviously seeing continued demand uh, differentiated from the consumer system for medical cannabis, and there are a couple good reasons for that. Uh, you know, currently in Canada, medical patients can write off the cost of medical cannabis as a prescription product on their federal taxes. And we're also seeing an increase in insurance coverage. Um, uh, so, you know, more and more people in the country who have prescriptions for medical cannabis are able to gain insurance reimbursement for it. So there are some good reasons to, uh, to do that. And, and let me add to that, um, you know, we always emphasize to patients that if you're using medical cannabis, you're, it should be under the care of a physician. If you're using medical cannabis to manage the symptoms of a healthcare condition, it should be under the guidance and the supervision of a physician, uh, just like any other prescription product. Um, so we do uh, anticipate that that medical market um, will uh, continue, um, and certainly we are seeing you know, patients come over to us from some of the other licensed producers. So we expect that that will remain a healthy portion of the business for us, and, and frankly, one of our defining features. 
Sure, and then separately on that topic, uh, going going globally, you had nice growth in exports uh, exports this quarter, but still only just about I guess four million or just over four million Canadian of your total sales. Do you have an outlook for where the you know the the pace of commercial opportunities will evolve for you to where that's a more significant portion of your business developing a real critical mask, and and then separately kind of an outlook for when some of your lower cost cultivation is going to be available to you so you can be more or even more cost competitive versus shipping from Canada. Yeah, sure. So um, the first thing that I want to remind you of is that um, what we're talking about right now is the June quarter. So we're kind of looking back in time. And so I want you to think about the fact that, as we, uh, we've mentioned before, our production ramped up, uh, kind of uh, back-end loaded in that quarter, um, you know, right, right in June, probably in the last six weeks uh, of the quarter. And so that's when uh, we had uh, a, a massive increase in production that allowed us to ship uh, additional product over to Europe. Can I tell you, obviously, what we want to do? We want to ship more product to Europe, and why not? We get a premium price, not just for our flour, uh, but for our derivative products. And we now have the ability to continue to do so. And in addition, um, we also, uh, as mentioned earlier, we have two additional um, facilities in Canada, one in Ontario, one in Quebec, that we anticipate uh, achieving EU GMP certification. And once again, that will make it easier for us to ship more product to Europe. Remind me, what was the second part of your question? Oh, I think the operator cut him off. Um, okay. Does anybody remember the second part of the question? No, we'll get back to him on that. Yeah. And our last question comes from John Chu with Desjardins Capital. Hey, John. Hi. Good, hi, good morning. Just a couple of quick questions. So just on the, the path to positive EBITDA, obviously with 2.0 coming online, that will be a higher margin business, but I have to assume that in the early days it's going to be a drag on margins. And so if it goes according to how you think it's going to go in terms of the rollout, how quickly do you think that business 2.0 can become positive EBITDA? And then tied into that, you're, doing, you're increasing your extraction capacity. So I'm just curious, how much of a boost can that be to, to the path towards positive EBITDA? Thanks. So, Cam, I'll, I'll start with that. John, good morning. Uh, I, I, I guess I dispute your 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 proposition that this would be a drag um, right out of the gate. We're, we're manufacturing commercial scale all of our products right now. Um, you know, we, we will, our pricing is set and we believe it's sustainable pricing at levels that are, you know, will produce margins that are higher than our current products. Um, and I see no reason why um, that would be a drag on earnings. Of course, it's going to be highly dependent on how, how much the provinces load in and at what point in time they load it in. So in terms of timing, I think you know we'll, we'll wait and see on that. But we don't we don't expect. Like we've made the investments necessary, and we have the operating and manufacturing facilities uh, already you know efficient and, and relatively optimized, so that we are delivering um, you know a an efficient uh, efficiently produced products. Uh, so no, I don't see that as a particular issue for us. In terms of extraction, um, we have been ramping up our internal extraction capacity, um, and we're now at a point where we can extract every bit of material that we need. Um, so that's, uh, you know, when we look forward, it's not necessarily a, uh, what we've done is removed a constraint that we had previously, but it doesn't necessarily inflect our future revenues. It's just part of the puzzle for producing these new, uh, this new generation of products. So that's 
just part of the manufacturing process that exists for us and isn't a constraint anymore. So I, um, I, I understand your question, but I think it's just part of the version or the generation 2.0 products that are coming out and we're well prepared for those. And at this time, we have no further questions. I will turn the call over to the presenters. All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you for everybody who joined this call. Um, once again, you know, we are very proud of the, the quarter that we delivered. And I also want to emphasize one more thing. Um, in addition to the positives that we've achieved, uh, it's also fairly significant what didn't happen at Aurora. And I'm speaking about some of the, um, you know, the tumultuous developments uh, that have occurred in the sector. So at Aurora, we've had no crises, no scandals, no regulatory problems, uh, no changes in senior management, no production problems, and no crop loss. Um, we're going to continue executing with that same discipline that we've demonstrated throughout calendar 2019, and we're going to carry that over into our 2020 fiscal year. Thanks again to everybody. Just, uh, on a final note for everybody, uh, I'm very, very proud of the team at Aurora. We've, we've crossed over uh, 3,000 employees now across the globe. And all of those positives that Cam had mentioned is attributable, attributable to uh, key teams and key members. Becoming the partner of choice and the employer of choice um, is a very um, powerful position to be in. And, uh, and thank all the team for an, an excellent quarter. This concludes today's conference call. You may now.